you have your Bible, let's turn to Psalm 145, the 145th Psalm. And we're going to look today uh, to this Psalm, uh, to the wisdom within it, uh, focusing especially on how it talks to us about the Lord's goodness to the worldling, even to the person who is outside of the faith, and especially though the Lord's goodness to the saint. And of course, we're using the word saint not as it is in the Roman Catholic tradition as sort of a super Christian, but that's the word that's used for every believer, one who is made holy and set apart by the blood of Christ. And so uh, we're going to be looking at the entirety of the psalm. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from it now to give us a focal point. But let me invite you as you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's word. And I'm going to read from Psalm 145. I'm going to read verse 8. And then I want to read from verses uh, 18 through 20. First in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And then verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. May God bless again today the reading and the hearing of his word. And let us join again in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you have given forth thy word. Uh, You told Moses uh, to write down the words that you gave to him. You spoke through the prophets. You spoke through David, uh, the the sweet uh, singer of psalms. You spoke through the apostles. And now we have the word written. But we know that apart from thy spirit, Uh, We will not uh, receive. We will not understand. And so today, give us the spirit and make wise the simple. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So for this afternoon meditation, as we prepare our hearts to come together to the Lord's table, I want us to consider some of the themes in Psalm 145 and to focus, especially, as I already said, on the theme of the Lord's goodness, both to the worldling, the unregenerate person, but especially his goodness to the saint. This 145th Psalm has as its inscription, David's Psalm of Praise. And indeed, uh, this is a song about praising God. Worship is giving praises unto the Lord. It is acknowledging the Lord's greatness. It is bending the knee of our hearts before Him. It is declaring before Him and before all creation His greatness. That he and he alone is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Why have we come here today 
as we do Lord's Day by Lord's Day. We come to praise the Lord, to worship Him. And so uh, this uh, psalm is a song of praise. The opening verses, verses 1 through 7, are uh, something of what we could call an explosion of praise. And you may well know that in Hebrew poetry, they made poetry not by rhyming, but by composing parallel lines. Sometimes those lines, uh, one line will be spoken and then the next line will simply repeat, restate, or expand upon what was previously said. And so it starts off in verse 1, I will extol thee, my God, O King. God is addressed as being like a king, like a sovereign who rules over all things. And then the parallel statement, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Uh, The name of God is his identity. Remember at uh, in Exodus three, when God met with Moses at the burning bush and he asked, who are you? And he revealed his name. I am that I am. And so uh, David here in worshiping God says, I will bless thy name. I will bless thee for, for who thou art forever and ever. And then what will be the extent of this praise? In verse two, he says, every day will I bless thee. Maybe you're familiar with Paul's instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we are to pray without ceasing. Well, Psalm 145 in verse 2 says that we are to worship without ceasing. Every day will I bless thee. We come together for corporate worship on the Lord's day, but every day there is to be a, a worship in our hearts privately in family devotions are in our households. We're to be worshiping the Lord. And then he says in verse two, the second part of that, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. And so he extends the time, not just the days of our lives, but because uh, we are in Christ and we will be with him uh, forever in heaven. Our praise of his name will extend uh, into the heavenly existence, the glorified existence, uh, which is to come. In, in verse 3, then, there is one of the most memorable and poignant expressions of praise in all the scriptures. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And certainly this is something we can repeat in our prayers and in our worship of God. That he is great and he is greatly to be praised. What man can measure the vastness and the depths of who God is? His greatness demands our praise. His greatness demands our worship. His greatness is such that we cannot, as puny human beings, our minds cannot comprehend the greatness of who He is. As the psalmist says in verse 3, and His greatness is unsearchable. We don't have the capacity Uh, All the the greatest men, the greatest minds don't have the capacity to comprehend the greatness of God. In verses four through six, the psalmist turns and teaches that God is especially to be praised for his works, for his acts or for his deeds. 
And so he starts in verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Verse 5. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And Verse 6. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. And so you see it repeated, don't you, through those passages. Uh, God is being praised for his works, for his mighty acts, for his wondrous works, for his terrible acts. What did David have in mind? Well, we could think of all the things that are revealed to us in Scripture that God has done. How he created the world in the space of six days and all very good. How he called out Abraham. How he delivered the people from bondage in Egypt under Moses and cast Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. How Jericho's walls fell down before Israel. How David defeated Goliath. And we could go on and on and on. We could rehearse all the wonderful acts, the the terrible deeds of the Lord. And these things reveal His character, His identity, His name. They reveal in verse 5 His majesty. They reveal in verse 7 His goodness, His benevolence. They reveal also in verse 7 His righteousness or His justice. And this leads us to what might be called the hub declaration of God's worthiness to be praised in verse 8. As it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, And of great mercy. And at the the hub of the praise of God. Is the praise of him. Because he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And he has shown grace. And he has shown mercy unto his people. The, The words here echo. The words that we find in the book of Exodus. When Moses asked the Lord. Show me thy glory. And. The Lord allowed his glory to pass by Moses as Moses had his face placed to the rock. And in Exodus 34, 5, it says the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And so. Again, these opening verses are just about um, calling us to recognize that God is to be worshipped. He's great. He's greatly to be praised. Look at all of his wonderful acts. And then at this point, starting, I think, in verse nine, uh, the, the psalmist shifts and begins to speak of the Lord's general goodness to all men. And we see this emphasized, I think, especially in verses 9 through 16. It starts off in verse 9. The Lord is good to all. You ever think about that? The Lord is good to all men. He is kind to all men, even men who reject him. Even men who scorn him and mock him in unbelief. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ taught Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. And he taught that because that is a reflection of the way God deals with sinful men. The Lord is good to all. He's good to all of his creation and he's good to all men. 
Just after Christ taught in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. In verse 45 of Matthew 5, he continued and said, for he, meaning the Lord, maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, what would it be like if God, when he sent rain, it just rained over the heads of the righteous? And we just, it's raining, you just walk around, the rain follows you around, and there's no rain that falls on the fields of the unrighteous. Uh, that would be an interesting thing. That's not the way God does it. Uh, he pours out his abundance, his goodness upon all men, even those who hate him and scorn him. He allows unbelievers to enjoy the blessings of good marriages sometimes and the blessings of having children and the, the glories of seeing a beautiful sunrise or a sunset. He, the Lord is good to all. Food tastes good to unbelievers. They can enjoy a good meal. Uh, so the Lord is good to all. He, he gives us the wonders of everything that there is in this creation to enjoy. And so uh, the, the psalmist is stressing to us, again, this quality of the benevolence of God. It's repeated in the second half of verse 9. His tender mercies are over all his works. Again, the stress upon uh, his works and his deeds. Uh, the psalmist then proceeds to say that the Lord's unreserved goodness to all is worthy of giving praise and worship unto him. And this becomes uh, the focus uh, in the verses that follow. First of all, all creation should give worship and praise to God. In verse 10, he says, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord. All the works of creation, in other words, should praise him because he's good to all. We might think of Psalm 19, verse 1, that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. But then secondly, he says in verse 10, Not only should all nature and creation, all of his works, praise him, but more particularly... His saints, believers, should praise Him. Verse 10, second half of it. And thy saints shall bless thee. Those blessed by God, particularly those blessed with salvation through Christ, should praise or bless the blesser. And uh, they should speak of the glory of His kingdom, His reign and His rule. Look as... The psalmist expands upon this, starting in verse 11. They, referring back to the saints, the holy ones, those redeemed by the Lord, they shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Remember, think about this morning when we're talking about Paul in prison. What was he preaching? He was talking about the kingdom of God. And then the psalmist says in verse 13, Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Um, and then after he says this, he speaks about the Lord's providential preserving and upholding, I think, of the saints, the saints who worship him. And so he says in verse 14, the Lord upholdeth all that fall 
and raiseth up all that be bowed down. We can compare this to Proverbs 24, 16, which says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Already, even while he's speaking here about the Lord's goodness to all, the psalmist can't help but sort of spill over into what will be the next great theme, and that is his special goodness to the saints, that he will uphold them even if they fall. But I think for one last time, returning to God's peculiar blessings, even to unbelievers and even to all creation, he continues in verses 15 and 16, the eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfieth the the desire of every living thing. And so the Lord provides for all of creation. Um, He's faithful season by season to provide for all of creation. This summer we had on our back porch uh, some swallows that built a nest. And they've done this over several years. And we enjoy sitting there and watching them. And the little uh, eggs were laid there. And then the baby birds came out. And we like to sit there and watch as the uh, mother bird would come with the food and You know, the mouths go open, these little baby swallows waiting for the mother bird to bring the food. And here the psalmist sort of takes that image and he says uh, that, that we and all creation, including, again, unregenerate men, their eyes, whether they know it or not, are waiting upon the Lord to give them their meat in due season. The Lord causes the crops of unbelieving farmers to grow and to blossom. He puts food on the table for unbelievers. He is good to all. And he's good even to unregenerate men. This same theme appears in Psalm 147. Probably just turn the page over one page in your Bibles. You can see in Psalm 147 verses 7 through 9. The psalmist writes, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise unto the harp with our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He provides uh, and is good to all. But then there's the second theme that shows up in this psalm. And it's not merely God's general goodness to all. It is God's special goodness to his saints. And this theme begins uh, in verse 17 with an emphasis upon the attributes of God. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. He'd already mentioned previously the righteousness of God back in verse 7. But here there's a special emphasis upon God's holiness. Um, It was R.C. Sproul in, in his book on the holiness of God said that really the holiness of God was the central attribute of God. Sort of like the center of of a wheel and the spokes going out of it. And uh, we know that uh, God is uh, revealed in the scriptures to be a thrice holy God. Uh, We were talking about Isaiah 6 
this morning and Paul's citation of it in Acts 28, but in Acts, in uh, Isaiah 6, uh, the, the, the creatures that are around the throne cry out that God is holy, holy, holy. And uh, though He is holy, though He is apart, though He is transcendent, there's also expressed then His special care for His saints. As great as His generosity and love is for all creation and His provision for them, even for unregenerate men, greater still is His provision for His saints, those who acknowledge Him to be their God, those who, like Abraham, believed God, and it was reckoned unto them for righteousness. And so the psalmist says in verse 18, The Lord is nigh, or close, unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. That's the first manner of His special goodness to us. That He is near to those who call upon Him in truth. Paul will write in Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in verses 19 and 20, I think at least three other special provisions are outlined that God gives to the saints. Um, As we look at these, first of all, it says... In verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. I might like to add the adjective godly in front of desire. He will fulfill the godly desires of them that fear him. The mention of fear here reminds us of the teaching in the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because uh, the, the wise, the elect, believers, the saints, because they seek out godliness and grow in godliness, uh, they more and more desire godly things and not vain things. And so the Lord is pleased to fulfill their desires. They do not see God as a genie in a bottle from whom they might demand arbitrary wishes. But they see a promise here to believers that God will grant godly desires. It's okay to have certain desires for your life. To want to have a blessed home, a blessed family, to have a growing spiritual life, to have a meaningful vocation, to be able to love God with your mind, to have have recreations and enjoyment of the world that are pleasing to to you and pleasing in God's sight. And it's okay to have those types of desires. Secondly, he says, or uh, uh, I guess this would be the third point after he's knighted them in verse 18, he fulfills their desires. And then thirdly, it says also in verse 19, he also will hear their cry and will save them. And this is back to uh, the special provision God makes and that he hears the cries of the saints and he saves them. This reminds me of Psalm 34, a couple of verses we find in that psalm. Psalm 34, verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. That little verse is like a testimony verse for every Christian. Whether it, it was a dramatic experience in your life, whether 
It came about slowly. We look back retrospectively and we say, you know, I was, I was a poor man. And I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me out of my troubles. Likewise, Psalm 34 verse 17 says, The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivers, delivereth them out of all their troubles. If a human parent will not be indifferent to the cries of their little child in distress, how much more will the father of us all Hear the cries of his saints. Been a long time since we've had little babies in the house. But I do have vague memories of what that was like. And um, I, I think the Lord especially probably gives to mothers, maybe even more than fathers, the ability to hear the cries of their children. And uh, I know Llewellyn felt like she could detect different kinds of cries. The hungry cry. We called it the justice cry. If a child felt like something had been done to them that wasn't just and fair, there was like a justice cry. What parent would, would hear their child crying and not respond to their need? Again, if even a human parent does that, will not the Lord hear the cries of his saints and come to us and take care of our needs and comfort us And so again, this is the special care, the special provision that God gives to his saints. The fourth one that's listed here in verse 20 is preservation. Not only does he save the saints, but he keeps them saved. He keeps them in the faith. Verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him. We were talking uh, Friday night in the youth meeting uh, about... Uh, the doctrines of grace and I was asking the kids can you come with something rehearse for me Tulip but actually they didn't do too great so we've got to go back and do some teaching on that but if you look at Tulip uh, total depravity or radical depravity not that we're as bad as we possibly could be but sin touches every area of our lives touches our minds our hearts our emotions you unconditional election that God chooses us not because of anything that we have done but unconditionally he chooses us. Limited atonement or particular redemption. Christ died on the cross to redeem for himself a people. Irresistible grace that he overcomes all of our resistances and draws us to himself. And the P in Tulip, perseverance of the saints. He not only saves us, but he keeps us saved. And then then we realize that our salvation is not dependent on on us, it, it's God is keeping us, keeping us in the faith. Although we're also created for good works, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, that he has foreordained uh, that we should do uh, as, as an act of gratitude, not for our salvation or even for our preservation, but out of gratitude to him. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. And then... Um, he ends, though, the, the, the psalmist does by saying, although the Lord is, is good to all, there is a general goodness that is extended to all. And there is the special goodness extended to the saints. He reminds us that in the end, all the wicked will he destroy. And so uh, the greatest good that, that comes to the believer is that he is spared uh, judgment. He has, he has spared the wrath of God. This is a warning 
that is meant to awaken the consciences of those who have with open mouths taken and taken and benefited and benefited from the Lord without ever acknowledging His Son and offering unto God the Father through Christ by the Spirit the praise that is due unto His name. I heard someone on a podcast this week cite an inscription that they had read on a church building in in Greece and the expression read like this. If you die, before you die, when you die, you will not die. If you die, before you die, when you die, you will not die. If you die to yourself and come alive to Christ, when you die in this life, you will not die but you will have life everlasting. You will have eternal life in Christ. And so there is, this is the special provision that has been made for the saints. And then the psalm ends in verse 21. The final response of the redeemed saint to this good news is worship, praise. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You may not say those words precisely, lest we read or sing this psalm when we come together on on the Lord's Day. But this should be the expression of every believer's heart and mind when he comes before the presence of the Lord in worship, whether private worship, family worship, or worship. In the corporate body, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious God, help us to be able to worship thee. We know our limitations. You are great and greatly to be praised. And yet your greatness is unsearchable. Take the, the feeble stammerings of thy people as we try to articulate our praise and thanksgivings. Uh, receive these and be pleased with them. We see how you were, you were good to us before we came to the faith. You gave us life and breath even when we were enemies. And we see now, having come into faith in Christ, how much greater, how much greater blessings you have bestowed upon those who are in thee. Continue to be in the midst of thy people. Help thy people through this ordinary means of grace and taking the Lord's Supper today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.